Hello and welcome to Mise on Smash, where each week we try to break the Super Smash Brothers cinematic universe one game at a time. I'm your co-host, Pete Simmons-Hayes. And I'm Simon Lewisong. And we have a very exciting episode for you guys here today. We're talking Pikmin. I'm pumped. It's it's a beloved game. I, I don't know if you, you knew this, Pete, but there's a really ardent Pikmin fan community. How so? Like with fan art, fan fiction, is it like the Earthbound community where they just keep asking for shit and no one... Kind of like, I would say it's kind of like the Earthbound community where you've got fan art, fan fiction. Um, funny story about fan fiction, actually. My elementary school best friend used to write Pikmin fan fiction in the second grade. He didn't do anything with it yet because we were like too young to use the internet yet. But every day in second grade, he would come into school and during free time, he would just write Pikmin fan fiction, essentially. Well, uh, it makes sense why kids like Pikmin. They're basically minions, except they can die, which is two things kids are fascinated with, death and minions. And they're way less annoying than minions. I think they're way cuter than minions and they're way less annoying. Now that you put it that way, Pete, I'm kind of pissed off that the whole world isn't being driven crazy with Pikmin fever instead of Minion fever. Yeah, That's why I think this guest has uh, a heavy load on his shoulders because if done well, he might have a Minion size franchise on his shoulders. He could really be the moneymaker for the Super Smash Bros. Cinematic Universe if done well. So maybe we should introduce Let's him. Let's introduce and- Mr. Graham Dunn. Graham Dunn is a writer and performer from Mississippi, a graduate of NYU and a former member of a couple sketch teams in NYC. Graham is now pursuing a TV career in LA, which means watching Community over and over again. He's placed in some screenplay comps, been rejected from every major TV studio in LA, and is best known for looking like Martin Shkreli. A lot like him. Currently recovering from the first annual 12 Nights of Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer. Yes, that is where he watches the beloved Canadian Christmas special Grandma Got Run Over by a Reindeer 12 Nights in a Row. Graham can be harassed on Twitter at Graham Dunn. Without further ado, here he is, Graham Dunn. Welcome, Graham. It's so special to have you here. Thanks. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I also think you should have your friend who writes Pikmin fanfic on the show. You should have him in for Pikmin too, because I have a, I don't know, I, I, I'm, I'm hitting a wall with that one. Yeah, it'd be great to, it'd be great to have him on. He actually works in, uh, he's right now trying to get his graduate degree in like astrophysics or something crazy. Oh well, man, that's perfect. We can have like an arrival take. Yeah, he's doing like, yeah. Crazy stuff. There's a lot of space exploration in this. You can do a really science-driven take on on Pikmin too. I should ask him. Uh, his other big franchise was Yoshi's Island. Those were the two that he was all about. Oh man, that'd make a great one. That'd make a great <laughs> episode, actually. Graham, it's such a pleasure to have you here. How much experience do you have with the the Pikmin franchise? Are you were you a big Pikmin player, or is it relatively new to you? I'm a veteran. I'm a veteran of the Pikmin series. Pikmin was one of the games I got with my GameCube, I would say. I got the purple GameCube for Christmas 2002, and I I got Pikmin. And it's an easy game to slip into and accidentally spend a whole night playing. It's kind of a real-time strategy game, but it's kind of just about hanging out with some little fellas, minion fellas, if you will. And I got really, really into Pikmin 2. But uh, Pikmin three, I'm less familiar with. But as as far as the Pikmin themselves and their world goes, I think I I think I'd consider myself something of an expert. 
Yeah, it sounds like you've got a pretty good handle on it. I didn't play Pikmin 1 until it was on the Wii. So I played, Oh, yeah. The new I play control. Late. Yeah, I played the new play control Pikmin on Wii. And then I missed Pikmin 2, but I, I played all the way through Pikmin 3 on my Wii U. I think for all the Pikmin games, I've started every single one of them, but they're the type of game where I, I am immediately stressed out because they all have a time limit. And the time limit is if the time limit's done... You run out of life support and you're suffocated and die, which, is, which was heavy stakes for me. And that kind of freaked me out, I think. Yeah, yeah you- I did not finish Pikmin 1 for that reason. I think I got as far as like the distant spring and then it became really clear that I was not going to get as many pieces of the ship as necessary. And so I never finished. But well, you were on track for the bad ending. That's still beating the game. I was on track for the bad ending and I wasn't about that. I was kind of like, I was kind of a completionist as a kid. I would get really psyched out about that because I, I don't know, maybe Zelda made me that way, but I'd get really annoying about that. But I did finish Pikmin 3 because Pikmin 3 was a little easier because you could build up a huge stockpile of days by just getting as much food as possible. It wasn't like only 30 days. It was just however many days until your food ran out. Right. So as long as you got were getting food every day or like took a day to just get food, you were going to be all right. Right. And I think it's only the first one that has the time limit. The second one, I think you have as much time as you want. Because oh, you're, okay. you're on a capitalist venture to gather treasure. It's, right. it's violent colonialism. The third one, though, it's, 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 yeah, if you stockpile that food, you got as much time as you need. Yeah, third one is all about the juice. The juice. Yeah, you do juice every day and you need a certain amount of juice, which is like real life for me. <laughs> I also, one thing that I was doing research today and I like read this, I, I played the game, but I reread the synopsis of Pikmin 1 and I realized that in a lot of ways, it's a lot like the movie After Earth starring Will Smith and his uh, son. Absolutely, absolutely like After Earth in a few ways because it's about returning to a place that has been used. It's, a, it's, it's very much, and I'll get into this, but the, the, it's kind of an inversion of the original pitch for Pikmin that it is a seemingly post-human Earth. It's, that, that's something they shy away from in later installments, I would say, but it's explicitly in the first game, an earth that has been used and left behind by humanity. Yeah. yeah. And it's, I think it's, we'll get into this in the pitch, but I, I, in back in high school, I was really into Nintendo fan theories, like super into them. And I had a big one about how Olimar and his whole race of, on Hokate, they were the humans that left earth and they forgot they were from Earth by the time that Olimar visited and they were back there, even though they're like little. But we'll get into that later. I think for right now, we should go ahead and break the story. Break the story. All right, so we open on Earth. Ostensibly, it's a beautiful rainy day. The main theme, very piano-y and, and, and quiet. It t- twinkles along. We see trees, rocks, puddles, bridges, pelted with rain right now. It's serene. It's hopeful. It's the forest of hope. And we zoom in slowly. The rain gets louder and louder. We hear, what is this? Tiny, cute screams as huge raindrops pelt tiny creatures. We've zoomed in that far. They're running for cover. We don't quite get a good look at them. Uh, but we see their little eyes and, and what looks like leaves and flowers on their heads. And, and, and the rain isn't their biggest problem. They're being chased. 
by seemingly massive creatures with huge teeth, and they're utterly defenseless at this point in time. But what we have noticed at this point is that this is a claymation film. That's deeply important, is that this film is completely stop-motion. It is uh, in the style of the, the covers of the games. It's claymation. We see one of these little creatures that we are going to later learn are called Pikmin. They're peeking out from a giant soda can, a remnant of humanity. We see he has a bud on his head, a flower bud on his head. Uh, he sees some kind of rudimentary shelter. It's the Pikmin onion. The onion being the little ship houses that Pikmin live in. It's their home nest. It's a cool flower top ship with three legs extending out. Uh, the others, the other Pikmin, make it inside and they wave to the bud-headed one and they call out. But just as Bud rushes over, a massive bulbor, which is what our, our, our main nemesis in the Pikmin game. This one in particular is Emperor Bulbax, who will later be our final boss. He stomps in and cripples the onion with one fell swoop. He sends it twirling off into the forest of hope. That thing, that thing is not going anywhere, but he has done the damage he needed to do. He's out. Bud, we're going to call him, is left alone. He's shivering in the rain. He's hopeless. Suddenly, he sees something streaking across the sky. It's a spaceship, crashing hard and sputtering smoke. It crashes just over the hill with a rumble. Bud cocks his head. He's unsure. Then we hear a massive creature growl near him, and that's all he needs to go ahead and run toward the spaceship. It's, it's his only chance. We cut to the spaceship, piloted by Captain Olimar. He's an everyman. He's on vacation from a distant planet. He awakens in the wreckage of, the wreckage of his ship with a blaring cartoon message on his screen reading, you got meteor, because that's what happens. He's frustrated. Olimar tries to start the ship, but the engine keeps turning over. It's kind of a hot rod. He's having a midlife crisis taking this time to spend a summer away from his family. He, he didn't mean to come here. He slams the steering wheel and a photograph falls out of the sun visor. I told you it's a car. Depicting his wife, his son, his daughter, and his pet. It's not quite a dog. It's kind of a little beetle thing. Uh, things look bad. He's in a dark place, but he can't give up. And he says as much in a squeaky, unintelligible alien voice. There's no dialogue. There's no talking in this play. This is a silent picture, except for moments of dialogue that are obviously saying something without being in English per se. Outside the ship, Bud, our little Pikmin friend, he's a little red Pikmin with that butt on his head, and he peeks out from behind a blade of grass. The ship looks alien, both to Bud and to us, and he starts to approach, but he hides again when Olimar approaches because he's never seen anything that looks like Olimar. Olimar takes a look at the ship, and he screams in frustration when he finds several parts of his ship are missing completely, including a leg, one of the legs that resembles kind of an onion leg the kind that uh, Bud's home ship is missing. Bud makes this connection. He notices an antenna on Olimar's head. It's kind of just a, a radio antenna on his space helmet. But Bud sees it, and he reaches up, and he touches his own flower Bud antenna. He sees a connection between them. They're the same. They're both looking for home. He has new resolve. As Olimar curses at his engine, Bud finally emerges. He takes a few tentative steps toward Olimar. Olimar hears something, looks around, finally settles on Bud. We finally get a, a full look at our first Pikmin. Bud is a red Pikmin with a long nose and indeed an antenna with a white Bokoba flower bud on the end. They stare at each other. This is an alien meeting. The rain clears up. A couple droplets plink off the nearby grass. They see each other and they understand. Smash cut to title, Pikmin. Wow. What a cinematic Oh my god. Opening. It's a story about com- finding community, finding home, 
Finding Autonomy. It's a story about a group of people who don't know that they're more powerful than their oppressors. And all they need is one visitor to show them. And we're about to get into that. I kind of have the rest of it is a, a looser outline than that. He makes some very strong choices right off the bat. For one, Olimar doesn't talk, which I don't know about the fan community, but I feel like that could be divisive. Only because right. in the games, there's something called the Pikipedia, where even though we don't see Olimar talking a lot until uh, Pikmin 3, he has he a does, voice. He has a, a very vocabulous guy. Yeah, well, and he has this big journal that where we show, which showed he's very articulate and he's articulating every single species he finds. Well, I think Graham mentions that there are moments where Olimar is, or, or where people, people in this movie are clearly talking, but it's in an alien language. So I think you can still have those moments where Olimar clearly, Olimar has a language, right? The Hokotations, which is Hokotate is the planet that Olimar is from. Uh, they have language, but it's, I think it keeps the tone of the movie for us not to understand them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So this is this is this is more of a an artistic choice because there is communication, there is language. It's just not spoken English language. Olimar being this very verbose, well-spoken guy, that can still be part of him. It's just not how he's going to communicate to the audience because this isn't a movie. This is a this is a man with a problem. This is a very straightforward we are stuck in a place and we have a mission to carry out kind of story. But in the first game, especially, there's no one for him to talk to. And my instinct is to avoid narration. In the ideal version of this movie, I'm avoiding narration, I'm avoiding human speech. But there is language. There is a language that's going to be developed. It's, a, it's, it's both a signed and mumbled language between these, these creatures who don't speak the same tongue, but who can understand each other. And there's something in linguistics called the principle of cooperation, which is that even if you don't understand what someone is saying to you, you have to assume that it is relevant, true, and in good faith. And all they can do is gesture or squeak at each other, but they are going to learn via the journey of this film that they can understand each other because they are all dealing with the same struggles. A Hollywood version of this movie in reality, I'd be talked into adding dialogue and that's fine. But in the, in the ideal grand brain version of this movie, no talking. Right. We're and, speaking, and, we're gesturing, we're pointing. And we're the Kevin Feige's of this franchise. So we're going to decide not to pressure you into doing it that way. So <laughs> just we for have the final say. So yeah, you're the Edgar Wright. This is your Ant-Man. What it happened. And then you can fire me off of it and, and put someone this else is in. Alternate, <laughs> alternate universe. But yes, <laughs> I have a question. Wait, I have okay, a question. Okay. Okay. So the, the Bulborb or em, the Emperor Bulber, what's his name? Emperor, Emperor Bulbax. Emperor Bulbax. He kills a whole onion of Pikmin, right? He, at the very least, ostensibly cripples their ship completely, the Red Onion. In your adaptation, when Pikmin die, do their little ghosts float out of their body? What an excellent question. We're actually about three beats from finding that question. Okay, then I'm going to let you, then I'm going to shut up and let you get to it. All right. Um, Okay, (laughs) so we've just cut to title, Smash Cut, as in Smash Brothers. All right, so we've just met Olimar and Bud. 
And from there, they have to help each other get home. It's very simple. Along the way, they discover in the water, the nearby uh, puddle, blue Pikmin. It's a completely different species of Pikmin, but Bud and the other red Pikmin, they don't like them because the, the red Pikmin are fire, the blue Pikmin are water. They don't, they don't get along. They're different tribes. It's, 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 it's complicated. Bud, in fact, butts heads with uh, the head blue. He's a flower head. That's how you know he's in charge. He's got a flower on his head rather than a leaf or a flower bud, as in Bud's case. But when Olimar uses that whistle, this is very important. He's got this whistle, and it's, it's somehow a frequency and a sound that they all understand. It transcends language. When he blows that whistle, the Pikmin can stop bickering and they can unite as a single unit. And, and even though Bud doesn't like these blue Pikmin, he can work together with them because he's, he's a little bit stronger than the blue Pikmin are individually, but together they're an unstoppable force. With their combined strength, the Pikmin are able to break down walls, they're able to climb things, they're able even to defeat the monstrous creatures that usually force the Pikmin into hiding. Olimar seems to notice that the Pikmin, every night they retreat into these onions. They can't deal with these creatures. They are very much the lowest class of creature on their planet. Everything can kill them. Everything takes advantage of them because they can't work as a unit without guidance, at the very least. So they, they join with these blue Pikmin, and Olimar has this increasingly long line of Pikmin following him, and they start to discover pieces of Olimar's ship that have fallen off. And with the help of the increasing numbers of Pikmin, they manage to lift and carry these pieces back to the ship and rebuild it together. Bud and the blue flower Pikmin, who are calling blue, they save each other over and over again from these monstrous bulborg creatures and they earn each other's respect. Blue is sort of a, a Buzz Lightyear type. You know, he, he thinks he's the hero. He's rushing into battle. He's sacrificing himself for his brethren. He, he really thinks he's in charge because he has that flower. He's got, he's got sort of a, a complex about it. And, and, and Bud, he knows he's not quite the same amount of Pikmin as him because he doesn't have that flower. It hasn't sprouted yet. Olimar sees that the Pikmin always retreat to their onions at the end of the day. They fear those creatures that come out at night. They don't even realize how mighty they are when they work together as a unit. Quick question about Olimar, because one thing, you, you've characterized these Pikmin so well, but one thing about Olimar that's been documented is sometimes he's a wimp, sometimes he's really brave. Like in the Smash Brothers subspace emissary, he's this scared little thing that Captain Falcon comes save and in Pikmin, he can sometimes be seen as like this brave space explorer. What, what take are you going to have with Olimar in this movie? I'm going to say, the way I'm going to answer this question is, at this point in the story, Olimar is still very much a coward. He doesn't know how to spend the summer with his family. He doesn't know how to go on a vacation by himself without ruining the whole thing. He's very much the kind of man who would hide behind an army of alien creatures. He doesn't, at this point, know how to fend for himself. And I think it works with your, I mean, you're going to get into your much larger themes eventually down the line. But I always got a sense from Olimar that he is a man who has been broken down by his job. He, mm -hmm. he works for like a shipping, a deep space shipping company. And he's a family man, but he's, he's, Ultimately, he's just so weighed down by his job that he's, he's always been a very Sisyphean character to me. He definitely has more that he could be. 
he's definitely weighed upon by the weight of working for Hakatate Freight, a company so massive that it is in fact the namesake of the planet he comes from and run by an, an individual known only as the president, who I see in future installments as a, an Elon Musk figure who's running this company into the ground. He doesn't know what he has, but he knows that he wants. He knows that he, he has greed and he knows that he has the people to send out into deep space to acquire it for him. And Olimar is, well, he's a pilot. He's, it's implied that he's a military man. And he, he's definitely weighed down by the grave importance of his, his quest, especially in, in Pikmin 2. He doesn't have yet what it takes to be a leader or a warrior. In, in, in a smash war. He does what he's told because he's a good soldier, but he doesn't, he doesn't know what he wants yet. He doesn't realize that the family he has, the wife, child, and mysterious pet that he has, he doesn't realize those are his legacy. He doesn't realize that he needs to be more than just a follower. I think that's a pretty pitch perfect characterization of Olimar. I also just, I want to say how much I appreciate the, you have different Pikmin as characters rather than just a monolith. Cause that's always from a, at least from a character standpoint, that's kind of a, a weak point in the game story-wise and that the Pikmin aren't really characters. They're a monolith that are, that serve gameplay purposes, which is great for a game, but they're not really characters. So I, I, I love Bud. I love Blue. I, I really appreciate that. As in the game, you can't, just as, as, a, as a point of how the game works, you can't get attached to individual Pikmin because they all need to be on some level dispensable. Because they die rather quickly. Right, but that's, that, that can't be how a movie works. No, I agree. But it does add that now that they are characters, if they do die, if any of them die, it means so much more. What a great which point. Is, which is great for you know whatever happens later in this story. So maybe, maybe, maybe. Let's continue. All right, so our second major trial... We've, we've started to learn how this works. We know that our whistle can unite the Pikmin under uh, a single banner. We've introduced the idea of, of fighting for a cause to them. And our second major trial comes when we track one of Olimar's ship pieces into a cave. And in Pikmin, these caves are some of the scariest parts of the game just because uh, your visibility is low and there are, are much more disturbing creatures down there. The cave is scary, it's dark. It's full of these floaty creatures with no eyes. And we have finally a big, terrible fight scene where we lose multiple Pikmin. We, just, we start to see what happens when they die in front of us. They, they faint and they turn to these little slivers of ghosts and float up to the surface. And we don't see what happens to them, but it seems like just a truly macabre way to die. And it's only with the help of the suddenly discovered glowy, electric, yellow Pikmin that Olimar and the gang can just barely escape these creatures. They, they really pull a stalemate out of there. It's not a victory. And things get worse when, in the escape, our friend Blue, the leader of the Blue Pikmin, is defeated in battle. It's sad. It's very, it's very hard to watch. He, his ghost wiggles up to the surface, floats up into the caverns above. The other Pikmin mourn in a strange little alien way. It's sort of, I was looking up how elephants mourn other elephants when they die, and it's, they sort of just stand in a circle and they say farewell. They leave the cavern, and the, the mood has changed. Olimar has realized that he is not capable of saving all of these Pikmin. How far into the movie is this, would you say? We're into the second act by this point. 
Gotcha. Um, we haven't quite low pointed. We haven't quite dark. Okay, we're not quite soul. at low point yet, but we're okay. We're well. But it's it's coming in a second. Gotcha. Is okay. there a significant yellow Pikmin, or is it just a big blob of yellow? Pikmin? I think there ought to be, um, but I think in the in the tradition of the minions, the yellow Pikmin leader ought to be more of a comic relief because the yellow Pikmin are so funny. Um, they have these big ears, yeah. and yeah, their function. Yeah, yeah, their function is more to do with electricity, and they zip around, and they they can jump a little higher and stuff like that. So I think the leader of the yellow Pikmin ought to be like the funny guy. He ought to be uh, a little scatterbrained, a little silly. His name should be Buzz. Buzz, yeah, electricity. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense to me. the The immediate comp that comes to mind is uh, if you ever saw the Lilo and Stitch TV show. There's like a yellow guy who's electricity. Oh uh, yeah, that's the first cousin that Stitch meets. Yeah, we meet him in the, the feature-length pilot of the Lilo and Stitch Yeah, Stitch series. the movie. Yeah, yeah, thank you, Stitch the movie. And uh, the yellow, his name is Sparky. Is <laughs> Wow, I Googled it after, and it was just Sparky. Sparky is Experiment 221, uh, but anyway, that doesn't matter. So yeah, that's my comp. He's, he's a trickster. He's a little, he doesn't take it quite as seriously as everyone else, but... Now all these yellow Pikmin, what are they going to do? Keep living in the cave? No, they're going to come with the blue Pikmin, and they're going to come with Olimar, and they're going to come with Bud, our red Pikmin representative, and we're going to, we've just snatched this stalemate, and we're going to escape the cavern. Olimar is disappointed with his leadership. So previously, you've established that the red Pikmin and blue Pikmin have a relationship with each other. Do yeah. they have any strong feelings about the yellow Pikmin, or are they their own separate entity? I'm going to say that the way at least the blue Pikmin view the yellow Pikmin is like, oh, God, not this guy. They're, they're, they're kind of the, the, the jackasses of the Pikmin like, uh, people. Yeah, they're like the hicks. Because I feel like... <laughs> down, like, I feel like the red Pikmin and the blue Pikmin, you said they were kind of in, in close uh, relation with one another, at least right. from a geography standpoint. But if the yellow Pikmin were down in the caves, maybe they ha- they heard of these yellow Pikmin. They've like heard stories about them, but they haven't really had much experience with them. But they're the Hick Pikmin. Like, all right, they're like, exactly. they're like down in the caves, like playing banjos, <laughs> yeah. zapping each other. It's the person who chose Bulbasaur. <laughs> it's Whoa. I choose Bulbasaur. Wait, wow. all right, on three, on three, pick your pick your starter. One, two, three, Charm Bulbasaur. Yeah. Wow, we've got two Charmanders and Pete as a Bulbasaur. He's the cutest. I, I just want to hug him. He's a fun little guy. Squirtle's the cutest, but that's not what you pick for. You pick because the fire ones can just trail. They can just tank through everything for the first couple of gyms. Bulbasaur's got the lamest evolutions, though. If we're being honest. Yeah, they, they're just bigger Bulbasaur. Squirtle's got the coolest ones, if we're being honest. I mean, I think it's because I like big, ugly dogs, and Venusaur is like a big, ugly dog. So. <laughs> Whatever. We'll save it for the Pokemon episode. Keep going, wow. Graham. All right. So Almar has escaped from the cave with his what remains of his, his blue and yellow Pikmin army, and he's, he's feeling pretty bad. All he has left of blue is the, a single petal from the flower on his head. Olimar sees the other Pikmin. They're carrying the body of the, the monster they just killed back to the onion. He's so grossed out. He doesn't understand. It gets sucked up into the onion and absorbed, and it starts glowing with his energy, and Olimar is just confused, and he goes back to his ship. He's done thinking about Pikmin for the day. But basically, at some point here, we've collected pretty much all of our ship parts. There's maybe more second act 
involved here. I, I, I always get a little skinny on second act, but basically all the ship parts collected, all Mars sees that the yellow Pikmin, because they're these electric little guys, they're able to start the engine. And he realizes that he has a tech ticket out of here. And the Pikmin rejoice because they've done a task and they're happy about that. And they await Olimar's next command and he climbs into the into the, the driver's seat of his ship and he sees that photo of his family again and he's, I gotta get out of here. You know, he, he kind of starts it and he starts to leave. And the blue and yellow Pikmin, they, they see this, so they get into their onions and they the onions transform into these little ship versions. The little flowers on top twirl like helicopter blades. And Olimar's kind of rolling his eyes and he starts to fly higher, but he notices the only Pikmin left on the ground is Bud. He's the only red one left. And he's looking just as defenseless as when Olimar arrived. He's realized that he's leaving that guy alone. Olimar looks at the family photo again and he realizes he can't leave until Bud has his family back too. He's having the same moment Bud had at the beginning of their meeting where we're the same. So he lands the ship back. He changes his mind, but when he lands, Bud is gone. He's nowhere to be found. And these groups of blue and yellow Pikmin, they enter the landing site carrying more defeated monsters to the blue and yellow onions. And Olimar watches confused, why are they doing this? And then the onions suck up these monsters and they start to spit out little seeds, which is just part of the game. It's part of how you keep Pikmin coming. But Olimar sees these little seeds fluttering to the ground and growing into these little saplings. And the Pikmin, they start to push Olimar, who's still pretty depressed. And they start to push Olimar towards the seeds and they beckon him to... to tug on him and he pulls them out and they out pops brand new Pikmin and it's 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 he has this beautiful moment where he realizes they don't have death they don't they don't mourn the same way we do because everything is one cycle and Almar's delighted he pulls the other seeds out they're happy to see him again they rejoin the group which is now quite big and colorful he realizes that for Pikmin everything you are continues to be eternally and he he realizes that that's his legacy. Then Olimar, he's kind of looking around and he sees a red onion, the red onion, floating haphazardly, sort of crashing again hap- uh, across the field. And he, 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 he knows what he's got to do. He gathers his Pikmin army of these blue and yellow Pikmin and he chases it down. And it's a tough, tough journey. It's a, on the other side of the big tree. See, but at this point, he's a full-fledged leader. He's directing small squadrons and picking multiple squadrons at a time. They're taking out monsters as they go. The Pikmin are now acrobats. They're flipping and whooping in delight as they hop from challenge to challenge. The blues carry things across the water because they can breathe underwater. The yellows are completing electrical circuits to, to make these machines work, open doors. They're an unstoppable force because they're together and because they're on the same page. Olimar finally reaches this red onion. It's in a little clearing, but it looks like ground zero. It's dark. It's a mess. It's a, it, it looks like something terrible happened here and it's too quiet. The discarded onion has no Pikmin in it. Suddenly, a giant creature appears by God. It's Emperor Bulbax, the one who crippled the red onion in our teaser. The Pikmin fight valiantly. He throws them all on there, but they're no match for this thing. It's huge. It's disgusting. It looks like a a really big frog, but with little stubby legs instead of hoppy legs and just like the biggest mouth and like a disgusting tongue hanging out of it. And its back is 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 moss and, and grass. It's 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 as if this creature is the earth and it's carrying live plants on its back. And it's got Richard Nixon jowls. It does have a bit of the Nixon jowl. So they're trying to fight this thing, but obviously it's too big and too scary. 
Emperor Bulbax POV. The Pikmin are, you know, annoying, but they're responding to Olimar and his whistle. So he does what the other monsters don't do. He goes after Olimar, not the Pikmin. Olimar isn't used to this. He doesn't know what to do. He tries to escape, and, he, and along the way, he loses his trusty whistle, leaving the Pikmin confused and disorganized. Olimar is not very strong, not very agile. He's easily overpowered by Emperor Bulbax, who has him in his claws. He has him right where he wants him, up against a wall. He goes in for the kill. Suddenly, Bulbax gets whacked in the eyeball. It's Bud. He's back. He's here to defend Olimar. He gets a couple good hits in, but he gets thrown off the Bulbax. But what does Bud see? He sees that whistle. He picks it up just as Bulbax is rearing his leg up to stomp him out, and Bud blows the whistle louder than Olimar ever did. Every Pikmin's antenna goes straight up. Birds fly away in fear. The grass rustles. Bulbax looks around confused what's happening. Suddenly, the grass rustles and turns into little squeaks from every direction. The red Pikmin return. Looking for guidance, they see Bud blowing this whistle, and Bud's his flower bud antenna bursts into a fully formed flower on the top of his head. He's the leader. It's him now. The red Pikmin run to his aid, and they push Bulbax's foot away, just with their sheer strength in numbers, and they tip Bulbax into the grass. Bud returns the whistle to a bruised and beaten Olimar, and they share a nod. Now... They truly are the same. Olimar struggles to his feet. He blows that whistle again. And this time, he assembles every one of his now massive army of blue, yellow, and red Pikmin. The yellows have bomb rocks from nowhere. They all line into these perfect lines like a military. And at the very front of the pack is Bud, his sort of first officer. They await orders. Emperor Bulbax stands up and he's glowing with anger. He's never been tipped over like that before. These Pikmin have never given him trouble before. He sees the assembled Pikmin army and he, you know, shits his pants a little, realizing things are different now. The the environment has changed permanently. Olimar blows that whistle and the Pikmin scream with fury, launching themselves into battle with an abandon we haven't yet seen. They bash and slice and shock and blow up the massive creature, and it falls. They defeated him because they realized that as a community, together, they are stronger than they ever were individually. And now at this point, we have sort of two potential endings, depending on whether Pikmin 2 is next or whether Smash Brothers Brawl is next. I don't know where this fits in the continuity. But basically, here's the ideal ending. Olimar and the Pikmin realize that they've sort of served each other. And Olimar says a tearful goodbye to the Pikmin where, and this is the same as the ending in the game, he sees them leading each other. They don't need him anymore. They can fend for themselves because he's taught them that these creatures that haunt them are only as strong as their size, but the Pikmin are as strong as their numbers. Olimar says goodbye to Bud, who's now the de facto leader of the Pikmin, and some other Pikmin are leading each other to start building shelter. They become autonomous. And Olimar says something squeakily resembling a goodbye because he has to leave. And as we zoom out, as he leaves, we realize that this entire journey that seemed like a thousand miles was less than a couple acres of land next to a pond and a tree. We're so much smaller than we realize. We were so more zoomed in than we thought. And the second ending, if we go into like a crossover thing, the ending of Pikmin 2, if not, uh, you have Olimar bringing the Pikmin with him to the Smash Planet or whatever. I think I think the preferred ending is I think the ending we got to go with because 
what a great Planet of the Apes moment you get there when you realize, I think, I think I actually, I have a pitch for it. So I think you got to have a double whammy, a one-two punch where as Olimar is leaving, you realize, oh, we were way more zoomed in than we thought we were. Olimar is really only three quarters of an inch tall. He's a very little guy. We've been like just, yeah, in this really small space. And then as he leaves the planet further, we see, oh my God, it's Earth. Mm -hmm. And I think somewhere there needs to be a reveal that it's not the Earth we are inhabiting. It's like maybe as he's going, it's a night sky. Like the final shot is, is Earth from space at night no lights Mm. okay here's my hesitation with doing an ending like that is that first of all after planet of the apes and the rise of the planet of the the apes trilogy how do you even shock people with it was earth the whole time secondly i don't want to step on the feet of canonically i don't want to step on the feet of any other smash pitches that also take place on a non-apocalyptic earth or a pre-apocalyptic earth and also right we could always solve that problem with things have been taking place in a multiverse so he could be from an alternate universe where there was where something bad happened that killed off humanity or humanity left earth there was a a post-humanity earth so he could be from that multiverse the the nintendo planet that nikki pitches is set up in sort of a neutral space in the multiverse, I guess. Well, I mean, we'll get into this more uh, in a second. For future reference, you don't have to worry about messing up the canon in any way, as long as you're staying truthful to everything built so far. Like, that's not your job. It's whatever you want it to be. We'll take care of the the ramifications of whatever your story is. I like I like the first ending a lot. I love the I love the the reveal that we're really small. I I I I perhaps I'd agree with you that the we're on earth the whole time ending probably won't doesn't hold the same uh doesn't pack the same punch as it did in 1968. But I think the we were re- really little reveal is kind of a cute reveal for a kids movie. It's like the kids movie equivalent of that. I think kids would be shocked by that. Yeah, if I could comp that to, if you ever saw the Ed, Ed, and Eddie film, which you didn't because you're a, some kind of freak. Um, I, I I am famously opposed to Ed, Ed, and Eddie. So and for I, anyone and I'm going to let that slide. <laughs> Simon's um, parents did not let him watch Ed, Ed, and Eddie. No, because they, not true. It was you? It was your decision? I was free to watch Ed, Ed, and Eddie if I wanted to. I chose not to because I was smarter than that show. Watch your watch this lose so many viewers that you could have had because because it's a great show. But in the movie, they go on this quest and it seems like a thousand miles. But at the at toward the end, you have this this moment that's not quite a zoom out, but it's sort of a pan over where the other kids are following them, and you realize that it's it's kind of, they kind of just went like a couple miles. It's 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 like just a very. A perilous few thousand feet that they that they traveled, but they were so busy bickering and getting into misadventures that they didn't notice. Um, similarly, in the Pikmin movie, it has to be the case that you don't know how small you are, and the Pikmin did not know either. But together, they're mighty. We've said for I think I think for every episode so far, we have claimed that the movie that was being pitched to us was our Black Panther. 
Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> which I promise probably made sense in context, but maybe not. I would say that this is our battleship Potemkin. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Pikmin. All right. Battleship Poe Pikmin. Because uh, as far as I'm concerned, from what I can deduce from your story, this is a socialist text. Uh, I, I am not putting any subtext that isn't in the game. I think this is a flat out communist text. It's a bug's life. It's they need you. You don't need them. And together you are an unstoppable figure. The way I'm sort of taking it is it kind of reminds me of a How to Train Your Dragon or the new Amazon film, Love and Monsters, where it's someone in a new environment, learning their new environment, taming it and using it to their advantage to win over everything else. How is it How to Train Your Dragon? Well, How to Train Your Dragon, he meets this entirely new realm of biodiversity. He meets these all, all these different types of dragons. He learns what makes them tick. And then he uses them to make his life better as well as the villages and okay. defend, defend them from everything else. The difference being, maybe this is semantic, but the difference being that the dragons in How to Train Your Dragon know that they are mighty. They know that they're strong. And the problem is that they only think of themselves as destructive forces and the humans only think of them as destructive forces. And the challenge of training your dragon has to do with directing that force at the right individuals. Whereas the Pikmin, they think that they are just, their lot in life is to be submissive and to be stomped on by these bigger animals because they're very tiny. They don't realize that when they combine their strength, they are the mightiest thing on their planet. I have a pitch. So in the game, if you don't get all of the ship parts, you get a bad ending. Yeah. And the bad ending for those of you who have never gotten it, for those of you who either haven't played this game or were, I guess, good at it, um, (laughs) I would not. In the bad ending, Olimar's... The oxygen is poisonous to Olimar, and this planet is rich in oxygen. And after 30 days, it basically kills him. Or, or, or no, what happens is he tries to take off in his ship without all of the right pieces, and he crash lands and dies. And the Pikmin take his body, and they put it up into an onion. <laughs> and the onion spits him out throws him in the ground and Olimar's head sprouts out of the ground and he's got a leaf on his head like he's a Pikmin. And I feel like that's such a great cinematic thing that I am going to pitch it as a dream slash nightmare sequence. I see. It's an Empire Strikes Back cave. Yes. He has it, I think, in in the wake of... His big failure in the caves. Yeah, his big failure in the caves in the wake of Blue's death when Olimar is grappling with the concept of death, um, he has that nightmare sequence. And then it's afterwards that he finds out that the Pikmin don't think about death in the same way that he does. And it's eternal. So I, I feel like just because the visual of, of Olimar with like just his head sticking out of the ground with the leaf is so cool. I'm going to pitch having it in there as a nightmare sequence because I love me a good dream slash nightmare uh, yeah. sequence. That makes sense to me. I actually have a pitch because you were talking about, you know, making it easier for the next guy setting up Pikmin 2. 
And one of the key components of Pikmin 2 is you're sent back to that planet because the company Olimar works for is in terrible debt. So what they're if- in debt to a space rabbit, which is whenever Super Mario Galaxy movie happens, you connect that. I think that's an easy dot to connect. Very easy. Ooh, that's a great idea. Okay, maybe in continuity approaching, we'll explore they that. Owe, but, they owe like thousands of pick pick carrots to a space rabbit. Yes, which Louis eats. Uh, we'll get to it. But if the Pikmin maybe it's like a going away present, like gift him with something they like something valuable that they found that Olimar could bring back on the ship. And then in Pikmin 2, like the his boss sees it, like, what the fuck is this? We can get more of this, we can make some money. I think that's a really easy way to set up the next one. Yeah. I think because you can get treasure just because it just part of it being a game is that you can pick up treasure and get more points and whatnot. But the treasure that you pick up, Almar takes back as souvenirs and the the big president guy sees this stuff and realizes it's, it's, it's worth a great deal of money. And in Pikmin 2, they're in this horrible debt. And so they need to start monetizing Olimar's trauma to clear this debt. And, so, and for that record, stolen goods from the indigenous Pikmin race. I mean, Olimar, and by, by the time the second one rolls around, Olimar is a full-blown imperial colonizer. He, I think you have to keep him on the right side of history. I think you can make Louis his, his, his second command, the yeah. colonizer there, and he oh, learns yeah. to be sort of Jake Sully from Avatar. Okay, um, I but Olimar, I think, needs to be sort of reluctantly filling in this role as the colonizer in Pikmin 2. It's violence. It's absolutely terrible that the, the president of this company, which seems to control the, the, the freight of the whole planet, would send him back to this place where this horrible thing happened to him to get more money. Pikmin is a game about hubris. In early development, the game was called Adam and Eve, and Miyamoto intended the player to take on the role of a god who could choose to guide the original humans toward love or destruction, building civilization or waging war. And the only, only you know, only minor elements of this remain in Pikmin, which, you know, uh, pushes the setting from a virgin earth to a, an earth left behind. And while you don't guide the Pikmin necessarily to create villages or wage war, you give them the tools to do so. You are... You're, create, you're, you're sort of acting as their original myth. You're their Jesus figure. And before Olimar arrives, the Pikmin are completely hopeless against these monsters. And Olimar gives them sort of the knowledge of good and evil. He enables them to participate in, in, in murder and war. Olimar must be a deity to them. Imagine if we could fast forward thousands of years, the Pikmin would be worshiping Olimar the same way we worship the aliens who built the pyramids. That last bit's a joke. You bring up Miyamoto and... You also bring up Pikmin being a communist text and something that interesting that Miyamoto talks about when he talks about his initial idea for Pikmin is he talked about how video games up to that point, in his opinion, were about a race. You're, you're erasing someone to the finish of something. It's about high scores or about beating someone else. But then he saw these ants working together and he said, it doesn't have to be about beating someone else or a race. It can be about a collective building towards something better together. So... I think his initial idea for the game really supports your story thesis. It's about, I, know, I, just, I really like that. It's about returning video games to the people. Sure. It's about the idea that the, the, the people, as in collectives of individuals, are what should have power 
rather than, you know, a guy who runs a freight company or the guy with the biggest spaceship. It's not about Mario coming through and, and stomping on everybody. It's about if we work together, we have a stake here. We get to say what happens in our area. These big bulb orb and, and fucking uh, spider guys, they don't get to decide what happens to our people just because they're bigger. We have numbers. We are stronger than any corporation because we can connect, because we can organize. That's what matters in Pikmin, not the guy with the powers, the guy with the biggest hammer. That's not, that's not this text. This text is number and the will and the agreed upon desire dictating what happens to this, this little slice of land. I mean, the way Olimar fights in Smash is that he deals, you know, fire damage and electric damage, and he uses a couple of Pikmin, but he is mighty because he has numbers. Um, I don't know if it, I don't know if you're taking into consideration for the big crossover events, how individual characters fight in Smash. Yeah. But the way Olimar fights in Smash is he has an advantage that no one else has, which is that he has backup. Well, I actually have a pitch for that, but before I pitch it, why don't we just get into continuity approach? I think a really cool set piece slash moment in Super Smash Bros. Brawl when Olimar first shows up would be, it would be very similar to the Giant Man moment in Captain America Civil War where ant sure. big for the first time. Exactly. Like, I think, I think, because I think, Canonically, we have to keep Olimar even in the Smash Brothers crossover. Because in Super Smash Brothers, the game, they size Olimar up. They make him bigger. I think in our version, I would propose that we keep him really tiny still so he fits in all of the other characters' palms. But it would be a really cool moment in a crossover event to have Olimar build himself a massive body out of Pikmin and use his strength and numbers to be mightier than everybody else even. Exactly, exactly. Because I would hesitate to call him our Ant-Man because right. Ant-Man's whole thing in the Avengers movies and in Captain America Civil War is that he's sort of self-aware about, I know I'm not as useful as you guys. He's like kind of making, he Ant-Man kind of, justifies his, his presence in those movies by sort of making fun of himself. It's Paul Rudd. He's, he's a comedian. Olimar doesn't think he's weaker than anyone else because he knows that at the end of the day, he's the only one who can form a mass out of, out of individual creatures. He's the only one who can control these things that the other Smash brothers do not know are all around at that moment. If Olimar's there, then there's surely dozens of Pikmin, hundreds of Pikmin waiting in the wings to be part of the fight. It's, um, I don't remember exactly how he enters the brawl in the subspace emissary, but he can certainly fend for himself if he would only create, you know, I, I think the way that if I were doing a film of Smash Brothers brawl, he would create a sort of mass of Pikmin so great that it would be this multicolored puppet that would, you know, be able to beat the shit out of, uh, uh, Clue? What is his name? I don't know who's the Taboo. bad guy. Oh, Taboo. Taboo. And it's a matter of none of the other Smash Brothers can be as liquid as the Pikmin could in a group. They, they, 
you can't hit them. You can't even touch them because they just move out of the way. They're a huge mass. They, they're commanded by only a whistle, and they know exactly what the whistle means to say to them. And, you know, there's more of them than there are of you. So there's a lot of character dynamics that will be fun to explore, I think, with Olimar, specifically the Pokemon trainer, because they're both characters that use the, you know, the creatures they control strengths for them, and they, they, they use them in a way that's organized and elevates everything exactly exactly so i think it's 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 only slightly different because the way the pokemon trainer interacts with his pokemon is is more like more of a clear power dynamic yeah it's more like the trainer is in charge of the pokemon whereas alamar is only organizing the pikmin into what they know they could be the pokemon trainer has a lot more to do than alamar who is just enabling the pikmin to reach their potential, whereas the Pokemon trainer is, you know, has to communicate to these animals because they, I, I, we have to believe that the Pokemon are animals. Um, he's communicating to them what they ought to do, and the Pikmin are more or less aware of what they might do. That makes sense to me. I have a pitch for setting up future Pikmin sequels. We're in continuity approaching, so just for the continu- continuity of specifically the the Pikmin franchise. I've got a bit of a pitch here. Okay. So I've been doing a lot of research this week on Pikmin and the Pikmin fan community and Pikmin fan theories in particular. Sure. And one of the more interesting Pikmin fan theories I've stumbled upon is this theory of the Umibozu. And for those of you not familiar with Japanese folklore, an umibozu is a yokai or a Japanese monster that it's basically like this demon that lives in the ocean. It's, it's a lot like the Japanese version of a siren, except without all of the sex appeal. Like it doesn't lure sailors into its, the, its watery depths um, with singing or sex appeal. But or just, boobies. Or Sorry. boobies, but, but just through being... Um, incredibly powerful and incredibly dark. And like, if you Google image search umibozus, like some truly terrifying imagery revolving around them. But a lot of the ways that they're characterized is that they are always after specifically the captain of the ship. And so the theory is, is that there's an umibozu on the Pikmin planet that keeps like that's what caused the the Olimar's initial crash landing on on the planet, and it keeps drawing Olimar back into this planet over the course of the games. And um, the the theory is that the Gulix, which is kind of a, a watery enemy in the first game, mm-hmm. is like the first form that this Umibozu takes on in the series. But that in each subsequent sequel, in Pikmin two and Pikmin three, we're seeing this watery being get more complex because in Pikmin 2 there's a, a a enemy called the Water Wraith that just in one level it just follows Olimar around throughout the whole level and you can't hurt it, you can't kill it. It is just drawn specifically to Olimar. And then in Pikmin 3, the Plasma Wraith um, the final is, boss. It's the final boss of Pikmin 3 and it specifically has an attraction to Olimar and specifically traps Olimar. And so the, the theory is that it's this B 
being that is getting increasingly powerful over the games and has this fixation specifically on Olimar and keeps dragging him back to the planet. And it's, you know, it's like a watery demon thing that's being birthed here. And I think, I think it just, it sets up as much as I love Emperor Bulbex, I feel like the, the potential for the plasma wraith to be like this dark villain of the entire Pikmin saga is really cool. So I think throwing in, because in the first game, it's Gulix is the form it takes, according to the fan theory. Throwing in Gulix somewhere in Act 2 would be a good rising action, maybe. Maybe to emphasize how scary Gulix is, to emphasize that it's a real danger, um, maybe you can replace... In the first act, when uh, Baloo is killed, maybe that could be the Gulix. Or the second act. In, in the second act in the cave, when, when Baloo is killed... What killed because- Baloo in your pitch, Graham? I don't know what they're called, but the, the thing I had in mind was... There's these really horrifying things that used to really give me the heebie-jeebies when I was a kid in Pikmin. There are these little floating, eyeless, elephantine creatures that just like sort of puff around in the caves. I know what you're talking about. They look like little floating elephants. Yeah. Yeah. Blowhog, maybe. Yeah, the... Wait, I have it written down. It's like the Wally Gog or something. Uh, Those are in the short films, too. Uh, The Wally Wog. Yeah. Yeah. Those would be cool to down, have down in the cave. Um, but I definitely think you could have, we can have our cake and eat it too here a little bit. I think we have those and we have the Guliks. Um, well, I think your Wallywog is your frog that hops on everybody. But I think you're right about um, the ideal version of, like it, it's going to be, these sequels are pretty distant from each other. You don't want it to be too Iron Man. You, I, I think having a, a singular through line that is, this creature that is increasingly angry and disrupted by the presence of Olimar, that's your villain. And I think, you know, the more we can incorporate fan theory, the better, just because this is such a, such a project that, that fans especially are going to appreciate. The, the whole idea that Olimar's antenna is mistaken for a Pikmin leader antenna is, is a fan theory. That's a fan theory that I'm drawing on too. So I think taking the Gulix and, and, um, making because that's already going to be really interesting in claymation. Because if this is a claymation film, something that is watery, gooey, jello esque creature, that's going to be really interesting to look at visually. And then, what it, what is the creature in Japanese folklore? What is that called? The Umibozu. Yeah. So having that being the Pikmin villain through line, that's a really great way to keep the Pikmin constantly against something um and then having you know Olimar have the sort of knowledge and experience to take down the sort of creatures that would take that would uh, attack in a subspace emissary-esque situation I'll have, i would have to do more research on the umibozu but it's um definitely an interesting take on it i hadn't read that fan theory but that's definitely a, a cool way to look yeah. at it especially because even even not Olimar, even Louis and the other characters, they all crash land on the planet, which lends to the theory that there is some special force around the planet that just draws you in and um, takes control. There is already a siren element, especially in the third one when it's like three separate pilots who yeah. crash land here. I think in the, in the third one, especially, I think in, in like the final, right before the credits roll, there's a little bit of narration 
And in that narration, they explicitly state that it's still a mystery what supernatural forces brought us to this planet. And it's mm-hmm. like, yes. And when they're flying off, it's still the Umibozu is still alive. Even after you kill the final boss, it's like shaking its fist at the, sh- at the ship going away and it's getting a little bigger. That'd be a cool place for the, for the series to go. One uh, thing we also have to tackle is canonically so far, this is Earth. So if it is, we have to make the decision for all the other Nintendo characters that also take place on quote unquote Earth. Is it going to be the same Earth, but in the future? Or is it going to be an alternate universe? That's all things we have to consider. Are we Mm -hmm. doing time travel? Are we doing multiverse? Um, Because I want there to be crossover potential. And I I don't want to take Earth from anyone. Because I don't know who's pitched and on what planet thus far. But there's nothing about my current vision for Pikmin that has to take place at any point. Just as long as it's a section of Earth, a you know, a very small section of Earth that is no longer used by people. Right. It doesn't necessarily have to be post-apocalyptic. But at the same time, I mean, we're going to probably have to bend over backwards a little bit to make when we first cross over characters for the Super Smash Brothers first crossover. I think there will probably be both multiverse stuff going on and time travel stuff going on. So I have no problem with explaining Olimar being on earth through either of those methods like it doesn't bother me if it's multiverse it doesn't bother me if it's time travel if if alomar if the pikmin end up inhabiting earth thousands of years after ness and you know and little mac were chilling somewhere in 20th century america (laughs) i have no problem with that but i also have no problem with alomar being this warrior from an alternate dimension where earth is post-apocalyptic i kind of like that it's earth i don't know if people have strong feelings about it not being earth but i kind of think it's cool that that alomar uses kind of objects like like it'd be cool if the treasure he brings back that has value um at at the end of this movie or at the beginning of pikmin 2 whatever we decided on is like a coca-cola cap or Or even an easter egg from an earthbound film or something yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Like a previous film, like an Easter egg. Yeah. A yo-yo. Yeah. Exactly. And what's also fun about the apocalypse is, if we were going to go this <laughs> route, is we could have, if there was something crazy to happen in one of our other you know, events to happen on Earth, it could be the same event that caused the Earth we see on Pikmin. So hypothetical, this is not the pitch, but if Gygus did destroy the Earth and Earthbound, right? right? Would that be the same Earth that we see on Pikmin? Those are all things we can play with if we wanted to. Yeah. So should we make something canon right now? Should we say definitively time travel or multiverse? Graham, you get to decide. So Olimar is a space traveler. Yeah. That is just part of who he is. So my initial temptation is to just, for clarity's sake, say that it's a different planet. But if it's to me, it's important that it's Earth because it is the idea that even if we leave behind nothing but soda cans and baby shoes, never used, then we, what we do miss out on is what the Pikmin get to enjoy, which is the concept of perfect community and perfect uh, organization. Uh, and I so think- I want to make it future Earth. And I think, yeah, I think future Earth is great too because I think that enforces your whole 
themes of it being sort of a communist text where if 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 we're in the ruins of human society for the whole time and i don't know i think you could explore that more in a sequel where you know what brought humanity to its knees was it perhaps a lack of what the pikmin will have right. in this film was it rampant capitalism was it not being able to simply work together and see that we have more in common than we do apart but I think that your earthbound is going to be an important, that's going to be like a tentpole, like Captain America type property. And I think you could even have a lot of the Smash Brothers cinematic universe take place in the future because it's only a, a couple of those that take place in like 20th century uh, right. earth. It's so I, I think a lot of them, Star Fox and uh, F-Zero and the others take place in a future earth anyway. So I think it's easy to say Smash Brothers as a crossover film takes place at some point in the future of Earth, Pikmin could fit snugly in there. And then you still get to have, you know, your nostalgia through Ness of an Earth that was, you know, habitated by just people and houses and cards and yo-yos and things. It doesn't, it doesn't have to be a particular era, just an era that we recognize. And then all the other Earth bound, bound to Earth that is, franchises be part of a future earth that you could sort of weasel your way into right. being a well, crossover. Right. Well, nest nest time travels in earthbound anyway. So that wouldn't be too hard to, but well, he could be your man at a time easily. Yeah. One crazy pitch. I don't know if this would be spoiling, but one end of the world that does happen is in mother three. There is a yeah. canonical end of the world at the end of that game well, and, it's, um, and that's already deep into the future that's already past earthbound that's past like any future that we know right so that's why i kind of feel possible. like we'll have to wrestle with alternate timelines at some point because the future that's in mother three is so very different from the future that is in f-zero like f-zero takes place on earth in the year like 22 30 something i think so they're they're both yeah, so they're really alternate versions of the future. But I, I, I kind of think, I mean, I have no issue wrestling with alternate timelines down the road. I think alternate timelines and alternate realities are fun. I agree, uh, especially if, if we're going to have to do it in Zelda at some point. And we are literally going to have to do it in Zelda no matter what. So there we go. Okay, so does this fit into the timeline post melee so post our big melee thing uh after, i guess it'll have to i think so i planet Nin, nintendo planet so after nintendo planet basically yeah I, my temptation is to make it a guardians of the galaxy sort of thing where they skip they happen this film could happen before the first crossover and just skip that first crossover because it doesn't have anything to do with them and then the second film will happen and then allow them to take place in that other crossover the brawl I totally agree with that. Yeah, I mean, it's right now we're 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 working with pretty far removed stuff. I mean, Kyle's Ocarina of Time and Hamilton's Star Fox couldn't be further apart in relation, and and Nikki's Doctor Mario definitely threw a fork into things. But I think canonically, this definitely takes place. It could take place wherever, but I, I definitely think Olimar doesn't come in till Brawl. So. It, it could take place as late as after doc after Nikki's Dr. Mario, but it could also technically take place before either ham or Kyle's. I think for right now, we don't have to set anything in stone with that and we'll let things fall into place as we develop more stuff. But yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think that sounds good to me. 
you guys want to see where Pikmin falls on the timeline, you can see our physical map on our website, mesonsmashpod.podient.com. Or you can go to our Twitter at twitter.com at mesonsmashpod. Yeah, we keep an updated timeline uh, that we update every week on there. So you can never feel like you're being left behind by the story. And we are on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So follow us on either and never miss an episode. Yeah, thank you so much, Graham, for pitching your Pikmin. We really enjoyed it. You were, it was a pleasure. You were a great guest. You are more than welcome back when we do our Super Smash Brothers brawl crossover to talk more about Olimar and be his representative <laughs> for that. Absolutely. None of this would be possible without some incredible remixes by some very talented and underappreciated musicians. Here's their credits so you can listen to the music without us talking over it. From Sean081799, the Super Smash Bros. Melee Menu 1 lo-fi cover. From Torby Brand, we have the Forest of Hope piano cover. From Scruffy, the Pikmin cross-arrangement Guardian Mysterious Lifeform theme. From Harmonica Fish, we have the Distant Spring. The Impact Site Orchestral Arrangement also comes from Scruffy. Insane in the Rain Music did Piclopedia Jazz Arrangement featuring Tyler Jenkins. The Submerged Castle Remix comes from Harmonica Fish as well. R3 Music Box did the I Know Uta Pikmin Strawberry Flower Music Box theme. Voice Appeal did the I Know Uta multi-language cover. Harmonica Fish did the World Map remix. The Lo-Fi Chill remix of the Today's Results theme comes from Kumu. And right now we're talking over the introspective Tanai no Uta remix. Also, special shout out to both Scruffy and Harmonica Fish, who do a bunch of Pikmin remixes and definitely need more views because they're both amazing. So please check them out. Uh, also, the sound effects come from the Pikmin series, Super Smash Brothers, and freesound.org. Visit us at our website at mizensmashpod.podient.co. We are on Twitter at mizensmashpod, and we are on Spotify and Apple Music. And you can find Pete and I at our personal Twitters at Simon Lewis Ong and at P. Simmons Hayes. Thank you so much for listening, and join us again here next week. Yeah, we really appreciate it. Thank you.